You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. How's everybody doing this morning? Got a lot of people outside getting their cars washed. Yes, that is a fundraiser. We have a, a young a team of young people going to Uganda in July um, since they've opened their borders and there's lots of you know hoops to jump through in, in our world of COVID, but we, it is possible, so they are raising some money to go there in July, so it's just a great way to get your car washed on a day that it's going to rain anyway, you know, but it's all for Jesus, so go for it. Yeah, I don't know what they're charging, but I'm sure it's not enough. Um, Feel free to bless them. <laughs> Ten bucks. All right. Feel free to bless them. It's just to help the kids get over there, uh, cover the cost of really an incredibly life-changing trip. So I uh, just encourage you guys to do that. All right. So Live Transform. We've been talking about this series for about five, six weeks, Living Transformed. What an awesome week we had last week, right? I mean, just having, uh, hearing 10, 11 people's stories of what God's been doing in them as they decided to do, you know, go through baptism and seeing what God's doing in their hearts and lives, it's just, it's life-giving, I think, for everyone involved, right? For all of us to just even be a part of that. So we're talking about what does it mean to live transformed? You know, in Christianity, and I've been saying this as long as I've been on this stage, and I will say it probably till the day I die, we have gotten distracted thinking that Christianity is all about a couple of Important things, but not the whole picture. One of them being salvation, being born again. You know, these words we use, what it, what it means when we actually become Christian. And so we think that everything is about getting someone to this place where they are saved. But yet that's really just the beginning line of an acknowledgement in our hearts that says, all right, Jesus, I don't want to do this life on my own. I now believe you're real. I believe what you did for me was real, and I want to be a part of this story. That's the beginning mark in our lives. And then the other thing that we get distracted by sometimes, and we think that this is almost the whole of Christianity, is going to church on Sunday. And we think that showing up, you know, from 10 to 11.30 and worshiping and, and listening to a message is kind of the whole of our Christian life. And we know, if you've been here at all for a while, that's not true. God has a new life for us. And we've been talking about the words that Scripture uses, that Jesus used, that talk about transformation and literally talk about us becoming something different than what we were, something new, a new life, a new creation, the Scripture uses. And that means that the, you know, we, we kind of quoted this a lot out of 2 Corinthians 5 last week was it says the old life is gone and a new life has begun. And I think we often forget that it says begun. It began. It didn't get completed. We didn't arrive somewhere because we became Christian or because we started following Jesus. It means we actually started a whole new life. A journey and a process to, for eternity is the, the goal. <laughs> this is just a blink on this side. But what we do on this side seems to determine the eternity that we live forever. 
And so boiling Christianity down to saying a prayer that gets you saved and then going to church on Sunday, this is what I say a lot. It's just lame. I don't care how great your church is or how wonderful our worship team is or how great a message you might hear. If that's all that you experience when it comes to Christianity, it is just lame. It's missing the point because God has a new life for you that's meant to be lived Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's meant to be lived even when you're watching your favorite sports team lose. It's meant to be lived when you're working that job and it's not going right. Or when you're parenting your kids and they just don't listen to you. And it's in those moments that I realize, have I even begun this new life? <laughs> and that old life kind of creeps out of me. That old person comes back, reminds me it's still there at times. And it's not somewhere to just live and be, you know, kind of, Put down yourself, like, oh, I'm never, I haven't changed. But it's a process. It's us saying, God, take me somewhere new today. Take me a little farther into following you today. Let me actually be transformed. Let me actually live a transformed life you have defined for me. You know, we have this program that we've done for a long time. We called it Restoring the Foundations previously and now we just call it restore and the whole premise of this kind of process we work through it's just kind of a one-on-one -on -one thing and it's really processing through what life has done to us that has taken us from our original design into the life that we now think is real and is everything that's around us you see when we look at genesis god had a destination for humanity that we got lost in a design for us in how we were supposed to be, what we were supposed to be like, how we were supposed to live, what we were supposed to accomplish, and we went our own way. And from that moment, all the way up till now, until the future of whenever he comes back, he's trying to get us back into his design. Transformed back, restored back to what God had originally for us. <clears throat> it's why when the disciples asked Jesus, hey, can you teach us how to pray? We noticed you're doing that a lot. And he says, yes, this is how to pray. And he, he puts that our Father prayer out there that we all know. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he says these words, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That even as we pray, we're supposed to be looking at his kingdom. We're supposed to be believing that his design for us can actually be available to us now, not just one day when we die. <laughs> but that he can change me today. He can transform me today. And in fact, that's why we believe in miracles and why we believe God can do incredibly impossible things because we believe his kingdom is actually available to us now. Now, don't ask me how it works. I don't know. Just recently, I was praying in the car for my daughter, Mara, which she hates. Like, really, really hates. She likes to get in the car on our ride home from school, which is 30 minutes from Potsdam, and she wants to listen to her music, and she wants me to say nothing. And so sometimes, because I'm feeling spiritual in the moment, I decide, I'm going to pray for her. I've got her trapped in here. 
The doors are locked. <coughs> but she, like, it's weird. She really hates it. If I mention Jesus, she doesn't like it. Now, she doesn't talk to me ever, right? She's, she's mentally disabled. She doesn't understand. But really, for some reason, she does not like it when we pray for her. You can take what you think about that. So I prayed for her, and she was getting mad at me, like really mad. She'll start hitting me because she's kind of like that. She can be aggressive. <clears throat> and I was just praying for her to be healed. Like, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand the neurological problems in her body, but God, you can do something that is beyond my even ability to believe for. And guess what happened? Nothing. And then I go back to all the scriptures that I know and that I memorize and that I read. Ones like this that say all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. It's Jesus. All authority. And then scriptures that say from him to us, greater works will you do than I. And I sit in a car and I pray for my daughter and I don't see it. And I wonder... Really? I don't know how this works. If you're looking for answers for me how this works, I won't be able to give them to you. But I know this. I know the one in whom I'm talking to. I know the one in whom I'm praying to. And even though I don't understand why when I pray to see authority over a situation or to see healing in someone's life or to see transformation even in my own life and it doesn't quite happen maybe as quickly as I want or immediately or, or maybe possibly on this side of heaven never, that I don't discount the one in whom I'm praying to because I can't possibly understand the big picture. I can't possibly understand all that comes into an account when we're believing for a healing in someone's body. And so we're believing that God can transform, but yet we're living in a world that doesn't always look like it's possible. And that is where the word faith comes in. Trust, better. I like the word trust better because you know, faith for us has become just a spiritual word. Oh, you have such a strong faith. Oh, oh, you're a faith person. Like, you know, we've used it almost as a noun rather than this actionable thing. But when you actually say the word trust, which it's the same word in Greek and Hebrew is translated both trust and faith. We understand again, oh, I have to put my trust in God. It means that when I don't understand something, I have to trust him. When I don't see something, I have to trust him. Believing that God wants to transform us and transform the world around us. This is just my preface to the message. Sorry. But God wants us to live transformed lives. So we're going to read today in Galatians. Uh, Galatians 3, honestly, I would... <coughs> I don't have COVID. I just have a bad cough. <coughs> We've all been tested. We just... I guess there's other diseases out there still. Um, I wear a mask a lot, so I don't know where I got it from, but, so Galatians 3, listen, I would encourage you, read the book of Galatians, I love it because it's Paul writing to a church who's kind of in the midst of forgetting, which I would just say, the church at large has somewhat forgotten what God has done for us. 
and the purpose behind what the church is and the purpose behind Christ's work in us and in the world. And so I love this book because it feels like a constant reminder. In fact, he's, in Galatians 3, this is how it starts. So I'm just going to read this. You, it's not on the screen probably because I didn't give him these scriptures. I always add more later. It says this, O foolish Galatians, O foolish Christians, <laughs> O foolish people who go to church. He's writing to them because they've forgotten. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen the picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Don't we do this? We come to church. Maybe we're with a friend who's Christian and we, we come to realize Jesus actually is real and he matters and he cares about me and he wants to be involved in my life. And, and so we come to him and we kind of come with this open heart. And then when we become Christian, we kind of push the Holy Spirit and Jesus aside and we're like, yeah, we'll take over from here. I'm going to do all the things that my Christian friends and people are telling me what to do. i got to go to church on Sunday. i got to pray this many times. i got to memorize the verses. You should still do those things. <laughs> I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And we think that by actually just trying to work hard, we're going to perfect ourselves. And Paul's writing to the Galatian church because that's what they were doing. They were getting back into just living a a, a religious life of rules and regulations. Why are you now trying to perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. The transformation in our lives comes simply because we end up putting our lives within Christ's hands. And we let him work in us. And Paul's trying to remind the Galatian church, so now we're going to jump down to, to verse 21 through 29. I'm just going to read this. We're going to talk for a few minutes. We're going to kind of roll through a whole bunch of Galatians and talk about the fact that Christ wants us to live in freedom. And the real question here is freedom from what? Because there's a lot of things we need to live free from. And the truth is, it's hard for us to live a transformed life, living in a new way, when we haven't given up living in the old way yet. And so we have to find freedom from some things in order to live in new ways. And Paul's reminding them, you have to live in a free way. And then he goes through, what does that freedom from look like? So Galatians 3, 21 through 29, he, he kind of starts to approach one topic. He says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? He's just talking about the fact that we can't throw the whole idea of law out. Absolutely not. If you give us new life, we could be made right with God, or if the law could give us new life, we could be made right by God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, 
missing the mark, not living our design. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Okay, we know this. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. So he's trying to explain to these people why the law existed at all. In the Old Testament, right? In Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, we see this law written out. And God gave them all these rules to live by, and actually later, they don't really show it through Scripture, the process, but they really came up by, oh, I forget the exact number. It's about 670 other laws that the Jews were expected to live by. So by the time Jesus came in, they were trying to live by 670 regulations, very specific regulations to their life in order to be considered holy and in right standing with God. And he's trying to explain to them why did the law exist at all if now that Jesus shows up, he kind of pushes it aside. And he says, we were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In all who have been united with Christ in baptism and have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes, he says there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And he's approaching a topic here that's a really big deal. Then and now. And he says this, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. So I wrote a new list for us today, just to bring it home. There's no longer Democrat or Republican. There's no longer blue states or red states. There's no longer black or white. There's no longer rich or poor. And still, unfortunately, true, there's no longer male or female. Now, he's not trying to talk a world of sameness a world where there isn't differences in people. That's absolutely not what, what Paul is referring to or what Jesus refers to in the Gospels. He's not talking about no diversity. He's talking about equality and unity. That when God created us all in our diverseness and the uniqueness of our lives, that we were held in the same exact value as everyone else. Yet somehow... Not just in the world, but also in Christianity, we love to make divisive and splitting definitions of people. We like to label people certain things, and it, it goes down to everything nice clothes, ugly clothes. New car, old car. And we go through a whole life where we constantly are measuring ourselves and looking at others around us and, and trying to find the things that make them really, hopefully, less than ourselves. Because somehow that makes us feel a little bit better. 
Because there's a trap that Paul was writing about, a trap that the law and regulations and really our own effort tries to do to us. And it's this, that if you work hard, you can be better than those around you. If you work hard, you can be perfected, and then it allows you to see that those around you are not quite perfected yet. But when we come in under Jesus, and we come in under how he views us all, everything's a level playing field. And you want to know what the real level playing field is? We're all broken. We're all wrong. Every side of the aisle, every side of the race questions, every side of the gender frustrations in our world, all of it's actually wrong. Both sides are getting it wrong. Yet Paul is trying to write to them, Jesus doesn't see us this way. He doesn't split us up, Jew or Gentile. Because the Jews in that moment were like, oh, well, we're still, the, we're still the children of Abraham. You guys have just been grafted in. It's a scriptural word. Slave or free? Well, I mean, that's a simple one. You guys are owned by other people. We're free people. Tell me that doesn't sound American. We're American. Land of the free. What we're really saying is, you're not all as free as the rest of us. We look at other countries with eyes looking down on them. I'll tell you very, I'll tell you really quick. You can throw me out later. Jesus would not be the American patriot that maybe sometimes we all think. In fact, if you asked him about the American issues of today, he'd probably answer you with a question about you. He would ignore it. The only time he even references, now he's living in a country that's been overtaken by another Roman, the Roman Empire. He's living in tyranny. He understands oppression. He understands a government wielding down on them. He understands it more than we do. And when they come to him and they try to trap him with a simple question, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And listen, this was a, this was a trapped question because if he said yes, then all the zealots who were following him, the zealots who wanted to liberate Israel that were following him, would have been mad at him. If he said no, then they would have been able to point to him with the Roman government and say, look, he's telling people to not pay you. They were just trying to catch him. And what does he say? Let me see one of your coins. Whose face is on it? They say Caesar's. And he says, render unto Caesar's what's his, but give unto God what is his. And what he meant in that was give, give them the money. Who cares? But you have the image of God. So give him you. We get caught up and all the frustrations of the world around us. Yet God's calling us to live a little bit higher than that. We're supposed to see his kingdom above everything else. And it's hard for us to live transformed if we haven't found freedom from living by the world's standards. If we haven't found freedom from just living in all of the divisiveness of our, divisiveness of our day. And so we have to give up this idea that 
we're this and they're that. No, we're all just people. Broken and lost without Jesus. And we need him desperately. And this is what he's saying. No, neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile, he says, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're going to jump down to Galatians 4 now. 1 through 70, we're going to read this together. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They had to obey their guardian until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is God's heart for all of us. His heart for every one of us is that we're his children. And he wants to adopt us. He wants to remind us who we are. And, you know, I've shared this story a lot before, but when we adopted our kids, one of the things that surprised me most was that a couple months later, we received a birth certificate, a new birth certificate, and what it put on there was my wife's and my names as their mother and father and their new name. And it, it was like they were actually our biological kids. They got a new name. And in the records, it shows they're our children. And that they have the same name as me. And so when... when God adopts us into his family. Guess what you get? A new name. A new inheritance, a new heritage. So no matter what your past was, no matter what your family background was, no matter the difficulties you experienced before, you now get to live under his name. That's supposed to bring some freedom for us. It's supposed to let us realize that no matter what I lived like before, I'm not trapped there anymore. You ever fill out a job application and they ask you if you've ever had alternate names? Now, I don't get to say yes to that. But you know why they ask you that? Because one of the biggest things people do when they've lived a life that was not so great before but they're trying to change is they change their name. Because they're trying to leave something behind. They're trying to forget what that was all about. They're trying not to be that person they once were. So they change their name. Well, this, we literally get a new name in Jesus. And if there's ever a, a last name that we could inherit that should have the most benefit in our lives, it's the last name of God. I don't know what the last name of God is. It's not Christ. But we get his last name, whatever that is. 
We get to be under him. We get to point to him as our dad. Well, you know who my dad is? You know where I come from? Instead of pointing to whatever our past was, God wants us to be transformed into his children. But I want to go back to one scripture in this, and he says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves. But this is a really important thing of what he's pinpointing what they were slaves to. It's not just slaves to sin here. He said, to buy freedom from you who are slaves to the law. Because you see, we don't just need freedom from sin, freedom from missing the mark in our lives, freedom from you know, making mistakes. It's not just the only freedom we need. We actually need freedom from trying to be perfect. Because sometimes we'll lead some life that's kind of broken and sinful and difficult, and we want freedom from those things, but all we exchange it for is a life where we're striving for perfection. And it's just another form of slavery. And so he says, Jesus came to purchase freedom for you from the law. And so I put in your notes, for those of us with Christian backgrounds, let's just bring it down to earth for us a little bit. For those of us who maybe grew up in Christianity our whole lives or in a religious setting our whole lives, the danger for us is always that we fall back into religious duties rather than clinging to the new life Jesus has for us. Now luckily the big argument that's going on in Galatians the big religious issue that they're about to argue about, I've avoided some of the scriptures just because I don't love talking about it, is circumcision. I'm glad that's not a big argument today. But that's what they're really arguing about here. Because it's what set the Jews apart from the rest of the world in a physical way. And they're trying to tell all these new Gentiles, oh, you have to do this. Now imagine, it's not so big when you're four days old. But as a 30-year-old adult, I'm going, eh. I'm waiting for Paul's letter. <laughs> and they're trying to pull them back into this life of religious duty and religious observance and just religious tradition. Rather than a life of freedom from the law that Jesus came to fulfill. And so, as Christians, you know, I've grown up in the church my whole life. And for me, it's not, I'm not likely to fall back into a life of, like, sin in the sense of, oh, I'm just going to find myself at the bar drunk, swearing, and trying to pick up random women. I know that sounds bad, because it is. That's not likely what's going to happen to me. Likely what's going to happen to me is I'm going to fall into a religious lifestyle. And where I just do some routine over and over and over that makes myself feel good, that makes me look at others differently, that makes me judgmental and condemning, that makes me think I'm better than the rest of the world, and I'm going to just fulfill all these religious rules rather than actually looking for the new life that Jesus has. And so for Christians, we have to be careful to not be that. But let's, let's go on to the next scriptures. Paul changes his tone. He says, 
he starts speaking. So right there, he's speaking to the Jews, those who were in religious backgrounds before. Now he's going to speak to the Gentiles. Basically, it's just a word that means everyone that wasn't a Jew. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Um, perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I've become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. And so he starts speaking to the Gentiles and says, just because you didn't live under the law that the Jews were living under, and I was just talking about, you were living under in slavery, in a sense, to something completely different. The useless and spiritual principles of this world, he says, are the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. You want to know how I define those? Every way that we measure success in our world. You know, we're not, offering sacrifices to random idols in the U.S. that much. But we might not be able to turn Netflix off after six hours. But we might not, we might be a little obsessed with that perfect selfie to post on Instagram or social media that catches us just right. Or we might be a little obsessed with climbing that ladder of success in our lives so that we can have that car we want or the house we want. Or the perception that everybody looks at us and thinks we're successful. Yeah, we might not be slaves to religious work, but we become slaves to trying to have this life that the whole world is going to look at. We become slaves to reputation and success to measuring ourselves against everybody else. And again, G Jesus is saying, and Paul writing here, you're just going to trade one set of slavery for another set. Don't do that. We're supposed to have freedom from that measuring system of the world. For those of us with non-Christian backgrounds, I think this is the danger for us. We fall into measuring our life by the world's standards instead of clinging to the new life Jesus has for us. We fall back into what the world wants us to do. How the world wants us to act. How the world expects us to look. Yet we're supposed to cling to this new life that Jesus has for us. Galatians 5, let's keep going. We start in verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. And I love this. Now make sure that you stay free. You see, Christianity isn't like a one-time dose. It's not like a miracle pill you take one time and life's going to be better. There's an opening of a door. There's crossing that starting line there. Yeah, there's that moment where you come to Jesus and you pray and, and you receive his gift over your life, but it's not a one-time thing. And Paul's reminding them, now make sure that you stay free. So just because you found some freedom today, guess what might happen tomorrow? 
little bit of pulling back, <laughs> a little bit of falling back into an old way or a different thing. I once heard this sermon, and it was really one of the best sermons I heard, and the whole sermon was called Weeds. And here's the preface in 30 seconds. As any of us know that garden or plant, we weed our gardens, but if we come back next week, what's there again? More weeds. We have to stay free. It takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of purposing. It's not a one-time job. God has freedom for us. He has victory for us. But it does take going towards it. It does take working towards it. And that happens through him alone. I know there's kind of this like razor's edge of, of not trying to do this all through works, but God does require some work. There's this place where we have to lean into Jesus, lean into the Holy Spirit to work in us, but not just try to do it on our own. If any of you have found that perfect balancing act, I'd love to hear from you because I have not yet. I usually find myself leaning one way or the other. This is what usually happens in my life. Things are going good. I stop thinking about Jesus a little bit. I start thinking things are just cake and easy and I'm going about my daily life and I'm doing it all on my own and I'm making decisions on my own and you know, I'm thinking about what's going to benefit me the best. I'm thinking about what's going to look best on me and this is going to be best for my life. And, and then all of a sudden something comes and kicks me. Something happens in my life that wakes me up and I probably even become frustrated in that moment. That's usually my first reaction. I get frustrated like, Jesus, what's the deal? Here I am being perfect. And then I'm reminded, and I maybe even my first reaction is to overcome that with my own knowledge and my own ability. Some obstacle in my life. Some difficulty I'm faced with. But usually when that obstacle's big enough and I realize I can't overcome it, I finally get to my wit's end and then I remember, oh yeah, I'm friends with Jesus. I'm supposed to be asking him. I'm supposed to be led by him. I'm supposed to be following him. I'm supposed to be going his way. And so it's, sometimes it is. It's just kind of a, a back and forth thing. I wish it wasn't always that way. I think sometimes I have good bouts of heading towards Jesus all the time and being reminded I need him every day. I try to remind myself every morning. Almost the first prayer on my lips every day. And I do it to remind myself as I say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm going to need you today. I'm not sure what it's for yet, but I'm sure I'll find a reason. I'm sure life will find a reason. And Paul's challenging them to be reminded of this. Don't get sucked back into all those things. Stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. We're going to jump down now to verse 3, actually Verse 6, it says this, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. Again, just put your most religious thinking in there. There's no benefit in just going to church. There's no benefit in just fulfilling some religious action. 
What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Again, we always come back to this. Jesus boils down all of the law and the prophets hung on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. John 15, Jesus says, this is my commandment, love as I have loved you. Paul reiterating those words. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. That our faith in God is supposed to be expressed in how we love the world around us. Imagine if we really did that well. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And he says it again this way, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if you were here about five, six weeks ago and Mark Estes was here, he preached on this. And the question, so when they... This was actually a debate that went on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they kind of came and asked him what was the most important laws, and he said those two things. And, and then they asked a follow-up question. They said, well, who is my neighbor? And he goes into telling a parable, and the parable is the parable of the man who is beaten and left to die on the side of the road, and that the only person who stops for him was the considered enemy of the day, the Samaritan. The good Samaritan who comes and it says bandages his wounds and cares for him. Yet the priest walks by and the religious people walk by and they cross the road on the other side. Our neighbor is the person who isn't like us. We think that our neighbor is the people who are in this room. It's not true. The neighbor is the person who looks the opposite of us. In that day there was no further people apart than the Samaritans and the Jews. They hated each other. And again, Paul boils it down. All of the law can be summed up in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is the transformed life Jesus has for us right there. Summed up right there. If we want to be transformed people, new people living the way God has designed us to live, it's to love each other as we love ourselves. And I think that sometimes we maybe struggle with the as we love ourselves part because some of us don't love ourselves very well. But I'll tell you what, even if you don't love yourself very well, you think about yourself a whole lot. We wake up in the morning, what am I going to wear today? How much do I weigh today? I'm going to wear black, it's thinning. What haircut should I have? What am I going to eat after worship? Or, am I, or what am I going to eat after church? What am I going to do that's going to benefit me in this way? We can't, the whole day is around ourselves. Oh, I hope they have the air conditioning on. I hope they have the air conditioning off. Because we think about ourselves almost 24-7. Imagine if God transformed us in a way and that when this word says, love your neighbor as yourself, we started to think about others the way we thought about ourselves. Man, what can I do for that person over there? 
How can I show love to that person? How can I make that person feel valued and loved? How can I make that person feel beautiful? How can I make that person feel comfortable? How can I make sure that person is fed? How can I make that person feel like they have great clothes? Imagine if the things that we thought all about ourselves, we started to translate and put on other people. This is what it would be like to be transformed. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5 goes on. I love this. Paul ends up writing two lists here. One list that talks about sinful nature and what it looks like, but then one that talks about transformed nature. He talks about fruits of the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has this kind of fruit in our life. And he puts this list, and I, I just, I know we've probably learned, many of us have learned this from like a children's church age, and maybe we've even heard this just in the world a lot. But man, if these things became real, if this is how we lived, if the fruit of our lives was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imagine a world, actually just, just imagine our world right now. Imagine the list that we would write if we tried to describe what our world looks like right now. And then imagine the contrast of what that list would look like in the midst of it. You know, um, I'm not even going to get into a long explanation about this, but I recently saw a guy who was a Christian singer, and he went to a gay pride parade. And he stood there, and he, wrote, he, he wore a T-shirt that said, Free Hugs from a Dad. And he got crucified. By whom? Christians. To me, that's love in the midst of divisiveness. He's not there just to affirm their lifestyle. He doesn't even know them. Who cares? But what he knew is that many of those people had never experienced love probably from a dad, and he was willing to give a 10 or 15 second hug. This is the contrast of a world we're supposed to look like in. Imagine if we lived contrasted to the world in which we live. Loving people, even though they're very different than us. Caring for people. Because inside that, when that becomes our actual transformed representation of God in this world, guess what can happen? Transformation in other people. But we always try to go at it the other way. We want to tell people they need to be transformed, and then we'll try to show them love after they say they will be. And if they won't be transformed because they don't know us, we tell them all the ways they're living wrong. And instead of a, a transformed people following Christ who show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self, gentleness, and self-control, we end up showing judgmentalism, condemnation, comparison. 
Yet Jesus calls us to be transformed and have this kind of fruit in our lives. Galatians 6, 15. Paul, I, I, I just appreciate it. These are letters, right? I always try to put it in the context of what it is. We, sometimes we almost over-spiritualize the fact that these are a letter written to specific people for specific reasons. And I love the end of chapter 6. And if you read verse 11, I don't know if your Bibles do this, but mine, it's all capital letters. And he literally writes, Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words. He's trying to get a point across. He's trying to sum it up one more time. Please hear me. I'm imploring you, hear me. And we get down to verse 15 and 16, and he says this. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. Again, religious debate of the day. It doesn't matter whether we've been religious enough or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. I'd like this to be true about me. That when people look at my life, they don't just see a religious person or the pastor of that church up on the hill. They don't just see someone who's just going to make them feel bad about their life, but they actually see someone who's going to love them and that I would represent a new people of God. You see, he spent this whole letter telling the Jews, just because you were Abraham's children doesn't matter anymore. Now you have to have faith in Christ. Now you have to be transformed just like everyone else. Just because you were Gentiles and you weren't under law, it doesn't matter. You have to give up that old way. And now he's looking for a new people in God. I put this question at the end of our notes. How are we living as the new people of God? Not just our old selves gathered in a new building. Just think back right now. Maybe you've been in church a very long time. And so if you think back, you can't even maybe remember what would you have been doing on a Sunday morning right now? If the only difference in your life is the location of where you are right now, then God hasn't begun the full process in you yet. If everything else about your life is the same, except now you go to church on Sunday, God wants to do more in you. He wants to transform you into a new life. Maybe you're saying to yourself right now, I've tried a lot of times. It hasn't worked. That's okay. How about you give him a try? Let him try to do the transforming. Listen, if I've learned anything, it's that we cling hard to our old selves. And a lot of Christianity is learning to let go. And I say learning because it's a process. 
Maybe today for some of us, it's just going to be a little less of a grip. Maybe some of us, a, a finger off of those things. But God's imploring, just let it go. Open hands. Let those things of your past go away. Let the old ways of your life go away. Let that old thinking be done with. And he's calling us to be a new people. And I love this because Paul, when he writes this letter to the Galatians, he's not very individualistic. And and often we think very individualistic about God in us. We think about God making me a new person. But in this moment, he's really speaking in a larger context. And he's saying, these are his last words. They are the new people of God. I would love for people to look at New Testament church and say they're the new people of God. Because they look different, even than the religious ones we used to know. Maybe different than the Christian background I used to know. Maybe different than the church I used to be a part of. Maybe But God, we want to be different. We want to be a new people in you. And we never arrive on this side. But man, should we head in that direction. And now is a moment. Let's stand. Now can be a moment in you to just say yes. Maybe you're in this room Maybe you're not even sure God is real. Maybe you're not sure if he actually cares about you. Maybe you're not sure if he wants to be involved in your particular life. I'm telling you, he does. He wants to personally know you. I love how Paul says it. Now that you know Christ, or should I say that he knows you, when we let him in to know us, you got to start there. That's the beginning of transformation. And it's as simple as saying, God, I want what you have for me. Jesus, I want this grace that you paid for on the cross. I don't want to do it my own way anymore. I'm giving up that old life, that old way. But for many of us in this room who would say, yeah, we're followers of Jesus and we're Christians. We want to follow God. Today is simply us saying, okay, God, I need to give up a little more of that old life. How many of us need to do that? I need to. And so I'm going to pray right now. And wherever you're at in this room, wherever you're at online, I'd ask you to pray as well. Whatever words you want to use, God, pull me forward a little more. God, help me change a little more. God, transform my heart. God, let me represent love in this world. Whatever words come to you, I want to ask you to whisper them out loud. There's something really powerful about when we speak what God wants us to become. When we speak where we want to see God take us. And just as much as I can pray on this microphone for you, it's better when you pray. So I'm going to pray out loud for all of us. I challenge you today, whisper some words, asking God to transform you right now, okay? Father, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you that you're in this room, you're in our lives. God, we thank you you're not distant, you're not just far off on your throne watching over things, but God, you know what's happening within us. 
And we invite you in right now, Jesus. Transform us. Change us. Let us become a new people. Let us become this new creation. Let us follow a new way in our lives. God, let us lose our grip a little bit more on that old life. God, let us have freedom from that old life. Let us have freedom from just religious thinking and religious laws. God, let us have freedom from sin and from being trapped by the world's measurements of our life. God, let us have freedom from old thinking. God, let us live transformed lives, not just for ourselves, but so that the world would look at us. They'd see love. They'd see joy. They'd see peace. They'd see patience. They'd see kindness. They'd see goodness. They'd see gentleness. And Lord, they'd see self-control. So God, let us be transformed today. Let us look a little more like you today, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. If you are new with us today, we'd love to have you stay after. Meet us at Next Steps. If God's doing something in you, I always want to encourage you. Tell someone. Share what God's doing in your heart with someone around you. um, And just have a blessed week. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.